Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today, my guest is the podcast host, stand-up comic, and reality show star, Hannah Burner, who is probably best known for her time on the Bravo show, Summer House. She recently left the show to do a stand-up tour across the U.S. aptly named House Broken. This interview was recorded at the beginning of June over the internet, so please forgive any audio weirdness. I just want to start right away. Uh, actually, while, while we're waiting to jump on here, we were talking about uh, going to see our first movie, a bunch of us, and I was like, yeah, it's going to be so much fun to be um, going back to theaters, going back to see plays and live performance. As someone who's a stand-up, <laughs> Could this not be the best time of your life to be a stand-up? I have to say, we all stand-ups were so scared to get back on stage. I was like, do I remember how to form sentences? Am I like, what am I going to do? People, you can fart on stage and people are laughing. Like people want to laugh so hard. And I find the crowds have never been better. And you also aren't taking it for granted anymore. So you're like, I'm so lucky to be bombing on a Wednesday in the middle of Bushwick. Like I'm so lucky to be out of bed. So it is a great time to be a stand-up, I think. Now, I know part of the reason we're talking is you're getting ready to do a big stand-up tour. Uh, I'm curious, have you been out... Um, doing the stand-up in front of the people yet or are you doing like those like car performances where they honk and you know what what i'm talking about (laughs) so i've done all of the above even some clubs that normally are like sick cool rooms have had to have more kind of available places for people to do stand-up to kind of make more money so they're putting us like outside in igloos we're doing all types of things there's parks people are being really creative i've done rooftops and sometimes there'll be like weird noises going on. You just like I've, I'm getting heckled by birds. You just have to go with the flow. <laughs> I have one at um, the stand, which I love performing at. But they're like just doing the sidewalk. So like straight up, people just walking their dog will stop and just be listening mid set. And I'm like, you didn't even get the opening of this joke, but it's okay. Come on, let's do it together. So <laughs> I kind of feel like the more the merrier. And I do think ultimately it's like great training. Um, I was a tennis player and we always joked like there's going to be wind, there's going to be, you know, temperature changes, but everyone's dealing with it. So I think that when you get a finally a good normal room with a full crowd, you're like, oh, I've trained for this. There's no pigeons this time. <laughs> no pigeons are heckling <laughs> me. Um, but I remember there's like Steve Martin had a book years ago about his stand up and he taught one, one of the things he talked about was the fact that. Uh, when an audience is slightly uncomfortable, mm. things are funnier to them. And I'm wondering, have you noticed that at all with like, if you're doing it with people standing in the line outside, it seems like a slightly a slight uncomfort for them. I think slight all discomfort. sets are f- starting better because we're all like, last year was weird. Like you just have to start everyone with like, did anyone else experience what I just experienced? So there's so much to joke on. And at first I thought that people would not want to talk about COVID. Um, but people really, we for a whole year have just been like in our own thoughts. So to be in person and just talk about the vaccines, talk about the weird masks, guidelines, talking about it. It's, and there's so much new material that's coming out. You know, some comics have been doing the same, you know, hour of jokes for years. And for the first time, they're thinking of new creative shit just because the world got so weird. But I do think a lot of us comics and everyone 
was sad for a while where like I was having trouble being creative. I was having trouble thinking like, is it even appropriate to make jokes at this time? So it's fun for us to kind of get the green light and be like, okay, it's time to go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So something that um, recently that you tweeted uh, caught my attention. It said, first base, hold it in. Second base, fart in the bathroom. Third base, silent fart next to him. Home run, Dutch oven. And um, not only is that really funny, it's like, who the hell wrote this? And you obviously have many, 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 many funny tweets. And can you describe um, what makes a tweet funny? And I'm sure there's things you haven't tweeted that were like, oh, this is almost funny, but not. Like, yeah. can you just talk me through what that mindset's like? Of course. I actually started tweeting before I was writing stand up. And I, I ended up using my tweets as kind of the foundation for writing my first 10 minute set where I looked at all the tweets I'd written and I thought, okay, you know, there's a whole bunch I've been talking about, you know, like food. There's a whole bunch I'm talking about online dating. There's a whole bunch that I'm talking about like body issues. So I kind of organized it like that. And then I realized certain tweets, they're not an actual joke, but they're a punchline or certain tweets. They're more a tag on a larger joke or certain tweets. They're actually not a good joke, but I like the concept and that's how I started the tweets are really like a joke format in that you kind of think of a concept and right when you think that people think they know where you're going with it you kind of have a twist at the end however because on Twitter people can't listen to the joke you have to almost use punctuation whether it's capital letters not capital letters to make it how they're gonna read the joke if that makes sense even like um, that joke where I put first base, second base, third base, there's a reason I put it um, on top of each other, not in one sentence, so that you'd, you'd read it and get surprised. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's truly an art form is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so basically you're the, you're the Shakespeare of Twitter is what I'm here. <laughs> making your own making your own (laughs) English language to work for your darn plays that no one's gonna care about and I do but I do like to call it kind of like it's kind of like a female locker room where I can say really gross shit and I don't have to say it to anyone's face and I could just tweet it and see who latches onto it and then if I think it's really funny next thing I'll do it in person and see if you know it works When you say like locker room, I feel like a lot of people will say, oh, it's like a guy's locker room. And having been in a locker room, I've never really heard any of the things that people attribute to locker rooms as actually happening in there. But are women actually talking like that in a locker room? Is that what you're telling me? I wouldn't say locker room. I'd actually say like the bathroom at a bar. Where the bathroom at a bar, girls are talking about like their tampons are falling out. Why they hate this guy. Some girl is like giving some girl a background of her whole life story. Um, It's reckless. It's wild. But it's like it's safe because there's no guys to judge you. And I'm trying to normalize things like, you know, sharding, farting, girls talking about masturbation. I think it's so important. And if you do it with humor, that's kind of the easiest way to normalize the conversation. But it's also just my selfishness of like, I wish people talked to me about masturbating growing up. I wish that it was cool for girls to fart when I was like, dating in the beginning instead of it being like a paralyzing anxiety that prevented me from like listening to what guys were saying because I was too worried about like what to order so I wouldn't fart later um yeah so it's basically selfish um you we talked a little bit about um other things our bodies go through whether it's through sex or Mm -hmm. alone or uh pleasure or or whatever Uh, and those are all things people do uh, Mm -hmm. since we don't talk about them so Mm -hmm. starting with a fart why is that your thing so 
everyone is nuanced everyone is complex and I feel like the typical kind of stereotype for a female comic is like you can't be too pretty and like or you're like really gross and I kind of wanted to break that stereotype where like when I got get on stage like I want to feel sexy I want to feel confident and a lot of girls especially I think will look up to me because I'm on like I'm on a television show so then I like to break that narrative and be like oh you think I'm like pretty and hot and have my shit together you're I don't have my shit together and I have anxiety diarrhea all the time and I just think like <laughs> having people not being able to comprehend kind of what I am or put me in a box and I joke actually when I first met Nikki Glaser I was very nervous and I really wanted her to like me and the first thing I did when I sat down um, to the table was tell her I just had a nervous poop and she immediately starts laughing and was like oh my god I have nervous poops too and I realized like once you can break the barrier and talk about something like that you immediately bond with people um so I just think it's a powerful form of bonding where we talk about something that we're scared of <laughs> and farting I think represents like a lot of different things that comedians can cover When you were starting out doing stand-up in front of audiences, yeah. do you remember like the first joke that got a real laugh? My comedy career has been very strange how it was created because I was writing a lot of tweets, I was writing a lot of memes, so I was kind of like joke writing for a while and then started my podcast, Burning in Hell, kind of a mental health comedy podcast, where Caroline's reached out to me and said, we'd love for you to do a live podcast. And my friend was like, I dare you to do 10 minutes. Meanwhile, the show sold out, like 300 people. So my crazy ass was like, okay. <laughs> so most people do their first jokes at an open mic with like four people. I went on and I felt so alive. And granted, it was my fans. It was a supportive crowd. I think the, f the first joke was like, um, yeah, I can't wait to talk about hell. And, you know, who knew that hell was Times Square with Elmo's, you know, smoking cigarettes, like something along the lines. That was like my opener. <laughs> it wasn't exactly that, but I just remember immediately people giggled. And you're kind of like, oh, this is kind of a dance we could do together. And if you're having fun, I'm having fun. And I remember the set surprisingly went well. And that's when some of my stand-up fr friends who I'd looked up to kind of pulled me aside and they were like, look, if you want to do this, you need to start getting on the grind because this is not what comedy is. Comedy is like <laughs> day after day bombing in basements. Um, but even though this is fun, you need to commit. And if you want respect from other comics, you got to start from the bo bottom. And um, I have a lot of great comedy friends around me who are like honest with me and truthful with me about like the process of getting better, who don't just like um, metaphorically suck my dick because I have a following or because I, I have like access to a TV show kind of thing. Well, let's talk about that. So you're a stand-up comic. You host two podcasts, Giggly Squad and Burning in Hell. <laughs> you're also a co-host on Bravo's chat room. And for three seasons, you were a member of Bravo's Summer House. Mm -hmm. um, if you could only do one of those things, which would you choose? Stand-up. And I'm going to ask why. <laughs> because I'm bad with authority? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I... 
I love all the things I'm doing right now. Um, I love my podcast, but it's not the same high as performing um, and getting a reaction with a live crowd. And doing chat room is so freaking fun because I love Portia and Giselle. But again, there's not that like live reaction. You might get like a couple Twitter tags, occasionally someone telling you what whatever opinions they have, but it's not the same as a live crowd. Well, and then, I mean, thinking of just, just those mediums, like stand-up comedy, and then obviously the Bravo, it's a reality show. Um, how do you handle those like different amounts of control? Because in stand-up, you could almost control everything about your delivery and how you set yourself up. On a reality show, it's quite the opposite. Um, I love how you've turned into my therapist in this moment, and we're going to go on a journey together. <laughs> yeah, no, all right. Turns out I am a control freak in terms of like I'm a workaholic. I want to try to do everything as good as I can, work as hard as I can, so everything works out and I can be successful and I can have my parents be proud of me. And, but there's also a side of me that's like, let's do the thing that scares me the most. And reality TV was that. Reality TV is the scariest thing to be, to shoot hours and hours and hours and then like watch something of a, a story that they want to tell people and you're not always um, aware of it. So <laughs> it was a way f that people discovered me, um, which was incredible, but it also forced me to sit in the uncomfortableness of being in the public eye in a lens that I wasn't always like used to or wanted. The way I survived reality TV is I did not go on it trying to show how great I am or how perfect of a person I am. I went on trying to be like, you know, women can be sporty. Women, you know, can be entrepreneurs. Women can also be angry. Women can also be sad. Women can also have sex all the time. Women can also have dry spells. Like I tried to just be all of everything and, and watch people see me make mistakes and then try to solve them. And I think that's what makes the best TV. I mean, what is it like? being on a reality show i mean you 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 were on it for three years yeah is that right yeah like i mean how does it change even over that time from the first year you're on it to year three well the first year you're on you are scared you are just scared and you also have to like navigate new relationships with people who will kind of know what they're doing so the first season i kind of was like just scared. Second season, I got the hang of it a little more. I was getting closer to people. And then third season, we filmed during a pandemic and we had to be stuck in a house for seven weeks together. And that was um, the hardest for me because you're also like very good friends with these people and you know them really well. So you, it's kind of like brothers and sisters where you're like, you know how to poke each other and press each other's buttons. And also reality TV is tough because you grow in the public eye and you change and you evolve. But I think the most beautiful thing coming out of Summer House is I went in as this kind of like 26 year old, not knowing what I wanted to do, single, just wanted to party. And I left it, you know, engaged, knowing what I want to do with my career and with a platform to hopefully keep growing. Um, I wonder if you could tell me a time, I feel like I'm interviewing you. Tell me a time you were responsible and didn't steal money from the till. Um, no, but uh, I wonder if you could share a time um, on the show that you were really scared about something, but then once you did it, it was like, oh, that, that wasn't so bad. I feel like that doesn't happen on the show because when you're scared of something and then you do it, you still don't know how it's going to be shown. Like, can you, I mean, I, I, as comfortable as you feel, could you give me like an example? Maybe something that's not going to be embarrassing or? 
I think reality TV helps you grow because you're forced to deal with social situations that you would never put yourself in. So like imagine, you know, you might get in a fight with a friend one night. The next day you're on a kayak with that person. Just happens to be the person you fought with and having to address what happened and having a long conversation about it. And you can feel a type of way about it. Um, but imagine if you then had to watch that conversation a couple months later in a much smaller format. <laughs> that may have been uh, edited and manipulated <laughs> to uh But to, to fit that. into like a certain story that you're not aware of. So it's a it's a mind game, but that's kind it was very exciting. Like it, it, there's definitely a high to it, but you never are really sure that you're okay. <laughs> Well, and then let me do it on the flip side too. Is there a share time maybe on the show where you're like, this is the most amazing thing ever? I, 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 I you know, uh, whether it's a life event or a moment or how it came out. I do think that like it glamorizes romance on the show. Like you'll like kiss someone and there's like lights and cameras around you. And it, it's super weird. But then it, there's something like your life is a rom is a romance you know like you feel like you're on the notebook <laughs> and there's like an excitement around it because normally it's just you alone with the guy but like it'll happen and then like people around you're like oh that was great or like so like it's just your life becomes entertainment um but you're like basically you're like an actor except you don't have a script um and then people are going to believe like it's a documentary <laughs> no this this is exactly what i wanted to hear okay I find reality TV so fascinating because it, it has, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I remember being really into like the real world mm -hmm. when those were coming up. Oh yeah, same. Kind of dates me a little bit, but yeah. But I think um, just the explosion of it and then how many people are successful working in it and not only on the camera, but behind the scenes. Yeah. And it's not going away. It's really the, the lesson is. And people are enjoying reality TV like crazy. I feel like it's a great escape for people, like especially this last year during quarantine you know, we were filming and put our lives out there for entertainment. So at the end of the day, like, I also have to remember, like, I am entertainment for these people. And it sucks because they there are a lot of parasocial relationships that come of it where people really think they know you. Um, and they really think they, they need to give you life advice or um, their opinions on your decisions that was made for their entertainment. But um, it's all part of, like, growing in this industry and seeing I'm so fortunate to have like I've experienced from behind the camera I've experienced in front of the camera I've experienced the scripted the non-scripted and I've just like enjoyed every moment of it even the toughest ones the toughest parts of it all um you you also are you co-host Bravo's chat room. Mm -hmm. And uh, does that, did that change um, the way you looked at reality TV being now you're a host versus being more of a participant? Well, it's funny because I've always been a Bravo fan. So I think a lot of Bravo celebrities, as they call them, uh, like love Bravo. <laughs> that's, that's our, that's our official name. Bravo celebrities. This is amazing to me. This is like discovering like <laughs> A foreign it's a full religion to people like okay. it's it's niche but like the people who love bravo like it is they know everything about it so like even though i'm on bravo there's other people on bravo who are like iconic to me how like i've seen them on tv like, just, i mean luann who's now my friend who's on real Housewives new york has been on it for 13 years like she's raised me so <laughs> 
I think I've always appreciated it. So then to not to for them to see me as, you know, someone on Bravo, but then also potentially a talent to talk about my love for Bravo and my opinions while also giving the inside scoop. That's what I think is so cool about chat room is that we all are talking about something that we actually know how the sausage is made, where a lot of other shows they're talking from kind of just an external perspective. Um, so it was a real joy for me also to be with people on different shows and hear their perspective and their experiences helped keep me a little saner too while I was going through the reality TV saga. You, you mentioned about uh, the persona you have and I can't help but think also as a standup, you probably have a stage persona. Yeah. And how are those two similar and how are they different? Your standup persona and reality show persona. Great or, question. Um, Summer House persona, persona. Great question. I think my first two seasons, people really saw this like light, funny, scared of drama person. And then my last season, I kind of came in like, if anyone messes with me, I don't, I'm, I'm standing up for myself. Like I'm sick of just like joking, rubbing it off. Like don't mess with me. And turned out everyone wanted to mess with me and I fought with 13 people and there were only seven people in the house so <laughs> but, but it's funny because then I would get people being like you've changed and I'm like look in three months I did not change you're like you're seeing this the character they want you to see this season. and granted I was not fighting the whole time I was very much like myself in previous seasons but certain times it's not like fitting into the narrative if you get what I'm saying so um I had two great seasons one not so great season and that kind of is life if everyone if anyone looks back at their life like I'm pretty sure everyone's last season this last year was not great <laughs> oh no I mean yeah we I know those years so you're like yeah 95 was a fantastic year you know <laughs> But that was a long time ago. You know, like you just, I remember those years. I think about that all the time. But what was great is this last year while the show was airing, well, I had two seasons air during the pandemic. Um, and one was great and one was not so great. And then it's all behind a screen. So this last weekend I performed for the first time like a headlining show in Governors in Levittown, Long Island. And I was like, hi, I'm here. And just feeling like in the flesh, even though I hate saying that, having these people see me and for me to just like exist and for you to just see my authentic energy was like an orgasm. It was incredible um, because it's been painful to just see yourself and not be able to be like, no, don't. Oh, Jesus. Oh, oh we're do oh, like that's literally how I watch the season. Um, so it's nice to gravitate towards kind of like an unedited, unfiltered raw version of me on stage. The name of our podcast is I'm So Obsessed. Hannah, what are you obsessed with right now? I'm currently obsessed with cats. <laughs> Wait, like cats the animal, cats the musical, cats the movie musical, Cat all the cats? Cats the animals, because we all know cats the movie lost millions of dollars in the box office and ruined people's lives. It's true. You missed, you missed, we were talking about going to see cats right before the end of the pandemic, possibly with some edibles. A lot of us had some <gasps> and oh it made it, a, and the people sitting next to me were there for cats. And I felt so bad that we were laughing and you could just tell like he'd been in the show. 
he was an understudy and now we're laughing you know but cats the animal i'm obsessed with cats i'm obsessed with i feel like during the pandemic because there weren't people and you need to get joy from something you couldn't go outside like i always have loved animals i started volunteering at this um southampton animal shelter where i'd literally go in to just like socialize the cats and i was like wait you guys are gonna let me volunteer just pet cats all day and i've just i've just like gone to admire how much happiness a simple cat can bring and to my friends who don't i also i like dogs too but my friends who don't have pets in their life i'm like they lower your blood pressure they make you get stop thinking about yourself for a second like i'm like a cat like i'm just trying to get everyone to adopt a cat right now um so yeah, I'm obsessed with cats. I love them so much. My my necklace is Butter, which is the name of my cat. And I'm trying to normalize cat ladings being cool again. So that's my mission. Describe Butter's personality a little bit, because that's the other thing about cats. They all Butter, have yeah, she's very sarcastic. She has a great <laughs> sense of humor, very sarcastic. She does not trust anyone except me. And she's sassy and she will wake my fiance up at 5 a.m. just to remind him who runs the house. But I'll sleep through it because I'm like used to it. I'm like, Butter was great last night. And he's like, she eat me out the whole time. And I'm like, that's weird. It must have been a dream. Um, it must have been a dream. Yeah. So she also cats. It's like whatever the hell is going on. They don't care. And it, it makes you realize like we're all just, you know, leaves in the wind. And I just want to pet my cat right now. So it's meditative for me. Yep. Um, okay, let's talk about these podcasts because you have two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Burning in Hell, which is just you and your, you ask your guests questions. And help me with the, the premise here. It's basically, uh, I think the, the tagline says like, all of us have uh, demons mm-hmm. and you're the one who pulls them out. Like, how did this show, how did this podcast come about? And um, talk to me about these demons. It sounds like I just do exorcisms on this pod. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, I would I would go to that podcast. <laughs> that actually be podcast. awesome. Um, I was working at a media company like early on in my career, and I was looking at these people who would come in that I would interview, and they would be like, you know, musicians, actors, comedians, reality TV people, and they were wealthy and they were successful entrepreneurs. And they had like the things that I wanted and that they were like doing what they loved and making money and happy. But then I realized that like a lot of them are really insane in their own way. So I decided I wanted a pod where I get people that we look up to um, for whatever reason. And I find out their inner demons, like what keeps them up at night, their biggest insecurities, their biggest anxieties, what they hate about themselves. And it really like makes you realize how everyone is more similar than different or you realize that some people who are crazy successful or because they're like really sick in the head and it's like everyone has their own demons everyone's struggling and then get advice ultimately on how they cope with their hell and like what's their advice and at the very end I do a seven deadly sins interview thing with them so I say like what what are you greedy about what are you who are you envious of what causes you wrath um so yeah, I just get to rip people apart in a light comedy kind of way. Light comedy? <laughs> in a gentle giggle. And then um, the other podcast um, is Giggly Squad. Yes. First, what is a Giggly Squad? And how will I know if I'm in a Giggly Squad? <laughs> I love hearing you say Giggly Squad for some reason. Because you can easily, but you are a great giggler. I'm being a nerd. <laughs> but that's what it is. But it actually started because my friend Paige and I 
uh, we're filming Summer House and one of the scenes, you know, someone was like kind of like going on and on in a long speech and we were giggling because we were drunk and he yelled at us and called us the Giggly Squad. Um, so I took <laughs> that and created a podcast where we make fun of everything, including ourselves. But it really stemmed from, uh, again, on the show, I have this friendship with Paige that people like really loved and like every now and then you see our banter and people go nuts about it. And, and then during quarantine every night at 10 p.m. for three months we would go on our live and just talk shit and people were like what are you gonna talk about you don't do anything each day and I'm like watch us and it, it became this like cult that we didn't try to form but people were like they'd go crazy if we were a couple minutes late to it we did it for three months and then we went to film summer house so we stopped but when we came back we were like we can't keep doing these 10 p.m. lives people are going back to life let's do a podcast and it's just me and my best friend talking pop culture talking about our personal lives and it's it's very different from burning in hell and i feel like it's two different moods that i get to express let's wrap things up so uh our our seven deadly sins is called pick one and i'm going to give you a couple choices and you have to pick one it doesn't mean the thing that you pick is better than the other thing. So let's play pick one. <laughs> pick one, Dottie Dumplings Dowry or Ian's Pizza. I have to go, I love Dottie Dumplings. I have to go with Ian's Pizza because- <gasps> Whoa, no way, really? Oh, the mac wow. and cheese pizza. Okay, mac and cheese pizza, was, I'll give you that. And I'm from Brooklyn and I'm like Italian. So it's horrible for me to be <laughs> saying this. Like <laughs> my ancestors- Yeah, there's no red sauce on that mac and cheese no, pizza at all. But like there's something <laughs> about after a late night and it was lit in there. Like it was a full on party. Um, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. I have to go with Ian's Pizza. It's iconic. I remember trying all the different cheese curds. I remember Dottie's had my favorite cheese curd because it was melty. Good, it wasn't as crisp. I liked the like. And you're soft. talking like a fried cheese curd yes. versus like a yes. squeaky cheese curd. Yeah, uh, which we love a cheese, a squeaky one as well. <laughs> you guys, this is very niche um, cheese this curd is talk. so niche. For the two people who love Wisconsin <laughs> who are listening to this, they're going to love it. I really want to play Madison on State. I had it scheduled. <laughs> I had it scheduled before the pandemic got canceled. Now I'm like trying to get a date again. So pray for me. Uh, such a great town. Yeah. All right. So next one I have is playing tennis professionally. Mm -hmm or fostering animals pick one. Oh my gosh yeah those are two big things because one potentially can make you money you also can lose a lot of money doing professional tennis because like you only get paid when you win um and then foster oh my god it's like my dream to have a sanctuary somewhere with a lot of land and just put a ton of animals on it um dream big i'm gonna say fostering animals because playing professional tennis i I dabbled in and um, it is f***ing lonely and hard and unless you're winning you are depressed <laughs> or this wow, is this is for is... me this is for me <laughs> and for all our tennis fans out there who are uh, playing tennis in their youth uh, yeah we'll just uh, <laughs> you have some reality no I'm kidding I'm totally kidding yeah I can't imagine that and then also I, I do think it's interesting though you started started out but you play tennis mm -hmm. professionally mm -hmm. and it is pretty much yourself but you're playing against an opponent and now you're doing stand-up which is pretty much yourself uh it is this i just think it's curious that your life has had that it's like, there's definitely know. patterns and i'm i've been yeah. like a lone ranger but um i feel like the comedy community is a lot more supportive and creative as opposed to sports so i've enjoyed kind of still focusing on doing my best but also like making people laugh and it's not just like me trying to beat someone across the net for me 
Okay, so my this last one is probably the most important thing I will ask you of this entire interview. It's the most important thing. So pick one, a silent but deadly fart or mm -hmm. a loud fart that sounds like an elephant trumpeting his trunk. Now, this is funny because I am a silent but deadly and my fiance is like a loud and he used to brag that like he's so good at farting like kids would like clap in class after he'd do like an epic fart now he's the best at farting but like a silent but deadly will win every time because it lingers it affects everyone around them and you can blame it on the dog that is horrible i know that is horrible i know if the I'm dog if the it's dog survives though no, but seriously, I look forward to seeing your stand-up hopefully one day in person. That would be awesome. Thank you so much, Patrick. That was so fun. I want to thank Hannah for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. You can find out more about her podcasts and stand-up tour on her website, hannahburner.com. Please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care. <laughs>